CP Podcast 19. So today's episode focuses on education within MSK because we know that for anyone first starting out on MSK, it's always difficult to know what to say and sometimes we're in the pressure of the patient being in front of us and expecting answers and information. Well, that's what Marie and I are here for in today's episode, education in MSK practice. Hey Marie, wonderful to have you back on. And today we're discussing a subject which is really, really important for anyone who's getting to grips with their early days in musculoskeletal physio. I think that educating patients can seem quite nerve-wracking, I think, when you're just starting out. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so today we're going to go through some of the key tips we have in terms of soft skills and then just briefly discussing a couple of different conditions and how we might educate our patients with them. Now, the first point I have down here is one that's quite important to you, Marie, which is using medical terminology, which we see happen a lot, don't we? Tell us about this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a big, it's a big no-no for me um, to use medical terminology with patients. The average reading age in the UK is nine seven to nine, that equates to the equivalent of being able to read the instructions on a microwave meal to know how to cook it. So if we're starting to use words like foraminal stenosis with, without giving patients any context of what that means or um, neural glides, um, osteophyte formation yeah. yeah any of those medical terms that are really commonplace in msk if you're using anything like that most of the population won't actually understand what that means so if you're going to use medical terminology please then re-explain it in lay terms but the ideal would be to avoid it completely so in, in my role in an app context i often have to talk about mri scans so i'll explain it first in lay terms and then i'll say on your scan this is called but this is a big fancy way of saying what we've just talked about so narrowing around the nerves it's a fancy way of stenosis is a fancy way of saying narrowing of a space around soft tissue structures so they've got some context because often these people will get their scans sent to them so they need to have a bit of grounding there um alongside the fact that most people's reading age and literacy com comprehension is very low really in the grand scheme of things there was actually a research study that a team did a couple of years ago looking at the use of medical terminology with patients um common phrases i can't remember off the top of my head what ones were used but it was common medical terminology and the results of it were really interesting in that most people thought that the medical terminology actually was the opposite of what it meant so even when we think that we're talking about things that they should understand in terms of like hypertension or or things like that commonplace ones that you hear on the telly all the time the reality is that even those are misunderstood so i think we need to be really careful when we're using um more complex medical language with people that we're not assuming an understanding um because otherwise they're not going to understand or they might go home and google and it might say something really scary when actually if you just provided a bit of context or slightly different wording that could have all been avoided and that the key thing about this really is that we know that the way that patients understand or interpret their understanding of what's going on with their body will have a huge influence on 
how they manage it. So for example, I mean, I'm sure that there's very few physiotherapists who use phrases like this, but often you'll hear consultant surgeons of saying things like, crikey, this is the worst case of X disease I've ever seen. Bone on bone, grumbling spine, you'll need a wheelchair. Yeah. And patients absolutely do that the difference between someone who hears that and the difference between someone who hears something like yeah this is something that we can manage is there's a huge difference in their outcome so so that's a really important stuff so yeah not just the medical terminology but how catastrophizing the description of what you use around it um in addition to that kind of language is really important yeah and that actually brings us on really nicely to the next point which is unhelpful phrases and yes we joke we hear about different medical professionals saying things like this is the worst i've seen you'll end up in a wheelchair um using analogies that aren't very helpful so commonly when we talk about disc pathology sometimes people talk about the jam donut and the reason that this isn't this is potentially unhelpful is that once the jam leaves the donut it never goes back in. Exactly. And no matter how much you'll say the disc can reabsorb, because the analogy you've given is a donut, and nearly everyone will understand when you squeeze the jam out of the donut, it's not going back in. Yeah. So if you're going to use an analogy like that, be prepared for potential mis- misunderstanding. Because just from a um, comprehension perspective, if someone said to me, it's like a jam donut and the jam will squeeze, go out, but it will go back in. I'm thinking that doesn't happen with donuts. So be really careful with the analogies that you're using to make sure that they're accurate. I had a patient once who saw a different healthcare professional. I won't name the profession, but he went to see this clinician about neck pain. And when he came to see me, he explained that what he was told was that his neck was double locked. Not just single locked. Not single locked, double locked. And the the issue with this is that out of everything that he heard during his previous consultation with a different clinician, the only thing that he held on to was that his neck was double locked. And so you can imagine, are you going to move your neck if it's double locked? Absolutely not. So it does have an impact. And I think so I think whereas, you know, we've just talked about other healthcare professionals there, here are some things that we do find is actually quite commonplace in physio. Saying things like it's weak. So you're describing a muscle as weak or you're describing a joint as, oh, it's unstable. That is potentially quite damaging to a patient. When they hear that something's unstable, they will worry about moving it again because it's unstable. I don't want to move it because it's unstable. If, if, if it's unstable and I move it, is it going to fall apart? Is it going to pop out of joint and things like that? So the idea behind this, I suppose, is that we don't want to give our patient a negative explanation. It's weak, negative. It's unstable, negative. What I've been trying to do recently is instead of use the same terminology, but in a more positive context. So instead of it's weak, I'll say what we need to do here is try and get this stronger, which hopefully therefore puts a positive spin on it. Instead of saying it's tight, we can say things like, we can get this more flexible. So ultimately, it's about trying to put the same information in a positive light instead of the negative way of explaining it. So the next thing, and I know this is one that you definitely put in your practice, Marie, is summarize and explain it back. So saying something to your patient like, what would you say to your relative 
when you get home when they ask what happened at your appointment today? Yeah, so where I work, we call this check and challenge. So checking the patient's understanding, allowing them the opportunity to challenge us with with anything or or put to us any questions. So I use this throughout my assessment. So I'll often do it in my subjective part as well. I'll paraphrase back to them what I think they've said to me. And I'll say, is that fair? So I give them the opportunity to correct me on things um, because sometimes we think we're understanding, but actually we're not. And it's the same with patient education. We're telling our side of the the story, if you like. They've told us their story with the subjective and then the treatment, but we're telling them the story about them. So making sure they've got the opportunity to then tell you tell you back to you what it is that you've told them so that you can make sure that they understand and that you're not getting any miscommunications and it gives you the opportunity to clarify things but also for them to ask questions about what you've said so being able to go okay so I've just talked you through kind of the the structures and what your body looks like on the inside and why your knee's hurting um can you just tell me briefly your understanding just so I can double check and make sure that we're on the same page. What perhaps would you say to your family member when you get home and they say, how did your appointment go? What's going on? Yeah, wonderful stuff. And this, I suppose, as you said, this is more to make sure that your patient hasn't learned any or hasn't interpreted anything unhelpfully or, or that they haven't heard, they haven't created a an incorrect belief about what you've just said so that they don't go home and say yeah they said it's absolutely broken and that I need surgery. Yeah absolutely um, I think it just makes it a bit more of a two-way street as well rather than I'm being dictated to um, and it also gives the opportunity if they hugely disagree with you mm. to kind of have that that discussion because so, certainly I've definitely had patients where they've disagreed with me and it's nice to have that conversation there and then rather than when they come back in however many weeks time and you go so how did you get on with your exercise and they went well I didn't do them because actually when I got home I completely disagreed with what you thought was going on if you can nip that in the bud and have those professional conversations with them about actually you know your concerns here are really valid and I can understand your thought process here that's a potential but at the moment this seems a bit more likely either way we're going to treat this the same way and we're going to start with kind of the same basic principles that we're going to work through and we can see how things respond or I completely appreciate why you think you need an MRI scan to know exactly what's going on at this point in time there's nothing concerning about what you're telling me and an MRI scan won't change what we do however I'm completely happy to review things with you depending on how things progress in terms of your symptoms and rest assured if things aren't going in the way that I'd expect them to given what we've just talked about about what is probably going on we'll absolutely re re have this conversation so sometimes it's just that nice opportunity for them to challenge you on their their opinions as well as well as making sure there's no misunderstanding in terms of them going home and going it's double locked or it's out of joint yeah wonderful thank you so much that these are all really important points marie thank you and uh, i thought i'd jump in here and just say that coming up very soon we will have a full course by the brilliant ben wybrow on communication tips just like these so do look out for that course coming out very soon from ben wybrow okay so next, we thought we'd separate this second half of the podcast just talking through a couple of different conditions or a couple of different scenarios and perhaps things that physiotherapists might struggle with explaining and, and therefore how we would talk about it. So the first thing we have is explaining 
pain and explaining particularly chronic or persistent or oversensitive pain, whatever you want to call it, um, and, and different analogies that perhaps can be used. So the one that I've used time and time again, and uh, I, I've done, uh, we've done webinars on this, and I think when I've done the um, guidelines for chronic pain management webinar, I talked about this, which was the example of a king in a castle when we're talking about pain. And I think the reason that I use this one is because patients do understand it and they put themselves in the position of the king. And plus everyone likes a story. When you hear story in your head, all sorts of alarm bells go off saying, oh, a story, great, I better listen. So the the analogy I use or the story I use is imagine a story of a king in a castle. And one day the king's castle gets attacked from the east side of the castle. Now he has various guards that he places all around the castle. Think of these guards as receptors. And he has these guards all around the castle. But the day after the east side of the castle gets attacked, he gets very worried about the east side of the castle because it's been attacked before. So what he does is he puts more soldiers on the east side of the castle because he's more alert about this area. He wants to make sure there's no attack in this area again. He becomes more vigilant and, and more aware of anything that's going on the east side of the castle. And he communicates this to his soldiers and he says... Anything that goes on in the east side, I want to know about it. Anything that goes on in the east side, make sure you tell me. And what happens, therefore, is that he becomes quite fixated on this east side of the castle and therefore messages about the east side of the castle get through to him much more than any other side of the castle. And even if it's things that perhaps weren't that worrying to him, he wants to know about it. And so as a result, it means that he gets much more feedback from the east side of the castle than other sides. And those smaller messages like, oh, I think I see something, he becomes much more sensitive to them because he's so worried about it. And so I sometimes use that in, and then go on to explain how the brain is the same. If we've had an injury in one part of the body before, we put extra receptors there to make sure it doesn't happen again. And then we can become more aware of small messages that may not seem like really important threatening ones, but we perhaps interpret them that way. So that's my one that I sometimes use. Another one that people use all the time is a burglar alarm in a house, that if the house gets burgled, the burglar alarm has to become more sensitive to any movement around the house in case it's something that might cause the house to get burgled again. Um, and hopefully these are examples that people can, yeah, I get that. You know, we talked about the jam donut before and, and the first thing you and I said was actually the jam doesn't go back in. So that's not very helpful. Hopefully people can understand, yeah, actually, if I was the king in the castle, I'd probably do the same if the east side got attacked. And so hopefully they can resonate with it and make them say, yes, I understand that. That probably makes sense. So the other thing, of course, for me to say is that Ben has done a brilliant webinar called Pain Explained. So that's Ben Wybrow, who's a pain specialist physio and communication specialist physio. Um, so if you want to learn more on how we can try and explain pain to patients, then check out his brilliant webinar, Pain Explained. So the next topic of education I've got here is load management. And, and you mentioned, Marie, earlier, actually, that perhaps load management is a term that patients don't necessarily understand. You know, load? What is load? Do you mean I weigh too much? Um, I remember saying that to a patient, you know, maybe there's too much load going through it. And the patient said, oh, do you mean I'm too fat? 
which is which is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the amount of activity that we do with that knee or that ankle or that back or whatever it might be. So how do you describe it to patients? If, a, if you're trying to communicate to a patient about load management, the amount of activity they're doing, and perhaps we need to reduce it, what kind of things do you say? How do you how do you talk to so them about it? So in the it? kind of context of tendinopathy, I talk about sunburn wanting versus wanting to get a suntan. So if you want to get tanned and you go and sit outside for an entire day and get burnt and then do the same thing the next day, you get burn on burn. That's the same with your tendons. So if you've done an entire day of DIY all in one go, you've sunburnt them and then you try and do the same thing the next day you get sunburn on sunburn and you just get this ongoing pain and discomfort whereas if you actually want to get a suntan what you need to do is go and sit out in the garden for a couple of hours come back in check on what things are looking like or i'm probably a little bit on the edge here i won't do any more today tomorrow it's calmed down i'll go back out again it's that so that gradual monitoring of what you're doing in terms of your suntan without pushing it over the edge. I find that analogy works really well with patients because nearly everybody's had sunburn and nearly everybody wants to get a nice tanned skin. So it resonates quite well. And I just find that's a nice adjunct to link in with then the description of how that then relates to what we're asking them to do in terms of what they're asking their tendons to do activity-wise. So like you quite rightly mentioned, Carla, I think it's crept into physio language in terms of load management or tendon demands and things. And most people don't understand that. So even if you don't use an analogy and you just talk about that, what we asked the tendon to do for that period of time or that weekend was too much for it to deal with. So we need to give it the opportunity to relax, heal, and then start to build it back up again. That's really nice, Marie. I really like that analogy of the suntan. And I, I can imagine patients hearing that and thinking, oh, yes, I've been burned before and laughing about it, which shows that they have developed an affinity with that explanation because they've processed it and laughed at it. That, that That's a processing thing. Right. I understand this analogy that my physio is telling me. So I really like that. Um, I, I think a phrase that you use a lot, which is really nice, is deload to reload. I tend to not use that with patients. Yes, though, you use it to explain because, it to physios. Yeah, because patients don't uh, might not understand the word load like we talked about. So I'll use it in terms of teaching physio principles, but... If you can explain it in a really nice way to patients, sure, absolutely fine. And I think that this leads on to, as you said, when you're talking about sun burns and sun tans, you really nicely used the example there that if we keep going out and burning ourselves, we're not going to get anywhere. And therefore, it's the same with... It's just going to get really uncomfortable. It's just going to get really uncomfortable. And it's the same with these tendons, isn't it? That if we keep using it more than we should be, then it's just going to become more and more irritable. So that's a really nice one, Marie. Thank you so much. And I think other things that I would just add in with load management is how um, sometimes I get patients to keep diaries so they can have a, a really good look at how much of the activity they're doing before it gets worse, just because it then allows them to meet their understanding of how much their tendon is coping with, for example. And they can then plan how much activity they do, how long they go outside for to try and get their suntan based on how long it took them previously to burn their skin. So that's really nice. Thank you, Marie. Okay, so we've got a couple more here. So the first one is osteoarthritis. And 
I mean, you you know this a lot, Marie, that there's lots of patients who talk to you about, yeah, they just said it's wear and tear. Mm. So what's the concern with wear and tear? The concern with wear and tear is that there's that negative link to doing activity. And I certainly don't want people to think because they've got arthritis changes in their joint that they have to stop doing something. Um, if it's super, super painful and flaring them up, perhaps we need to talk about how we modify it and adjust it to make it more manageable for them. But I certainly don't want people to walk away and, and think, I shouldn't be using this particular body part because it's worn out. Um, I tend to talk about kind of grey hairs and wrinkles on the inside. It's normal age-related change. That you know, the same way that your body ages on the outside, we get the same aging on the inside. Um, it can happen in people that haven't got pain. We're not quite sure what kind of tips it over the edge. Um, but it's perfectly fine to continue with all your activities as long as you're not making it really uncomfortable for yourself. As long as you're not going outside and burning your skin with a sunburn. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I really like that and that that point. And I think that the phrase wear and repair has crept in, but there is controversy yeah, about this. Isn't and I there? still don't think that the comprehension from a patient perspective yeah. behind that's there. I just think that they're gonna go, Well, I've worn it out, so how is it gonna repair? So my my personal opinion on that is that it's probably and again, whether it's by my biomedically biostructurally accurate or not putting that to one side I just think that that kind of patient comprehension still isn't going to be giving us a lovely positive outcome from that diagnosis yeah I think with wear and repair because I know Dr Jack uses this and I think he uses it to good effect and I think the idea being is that he really understands what he's saying and he really understands the way in which he's describing it to patients which makes a big difference and actually Marie this is this probably brings us to a, a really good point that you wanted to talk about, which was make sure you're comfortable with what you're going to say. Make sure you know what you're saying. Make sure you understand the analogy before you start explaining it to patients. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than trying to explain something to someone and realising that you don't understand it. Because if you can't teach it, it means you don't understand it well enough. So that always comes across when you have students and students ask questions of you. If you can't explain something, if you can't teach it, it means that you need to go away and have a look at it again and make sure that you're really clear on your understanding. And that's the same with patients. If you're really struggling to answer their questions or to describe it in a clear non-medical word way it means you probably haven't got the grounding of it quite right and that's absolutely fine we've all been there I still have days where I have to go and google certain words to make sure that I understand what the scans are showing and and things so I can make sure that I'm giving appropriate context rather than bumbling my way through but I think if you're not confident with something make sure you go and do some work to make sure that you're happier with it before you try and explain it to people Certainly. I think, unfortunately, what sometimes I've seen in the past is that people, are, patient, physios are trying to explain something. They get it wrong and they feel unconfident as a result or they feel less confident. And the patient buys into that. They they can sense when someone's not explaining it very well. They can sense when someone's mumbling their words and when someone's not being very smooth in how they're delivering it. And they see that and that affects their confidence in the physiotherapy process and things like that. So it is really important to make sure that you're happy with the way you're describing things so that your patient feels confident and reassured that, yes, 
I'm I'm seeing a physio here who's going to help me and I'm seeing someone here who I can understand, I can trust them, I, I can buy into what they're doing with me and therefore we can go in the right direction here. So the final condition or pathology that I've got written down here is some kind of nerve compression. And the reason I wanted to put this in here is that I think patients, patients have their own understanding of a compressed nerve. And I don't think it's a very healthy one. It's not a very happy one. When patients say that they've trapped a nerve or that they've their nerves being compressed, I think that that's quite a damaging mind thought, isn't it? Your nerve is trapped. I could, when, when I hear that, and if someone said to me that my nerve is trapped, I almost imagine it being locked in a vice. Yeah, it's got really negative connotations to it, hasn't it? Yeah. It's the same as I've I sometimes get people say it's been crushed or squashed. Like what good things can you think of that come out of something being trapped or squashed or crushed? It's all very negative. And that's not to say that we should play down if there is significant changes that obviously you're worried about is really important that that's communicated well to someone. It's just doing it in a non-alarmist way absolutely so that that's exactly my point with this i i only use the word compression when there's a nerve compression when there genuinely is i.e my patient myotomal loss yeah my patients had an mri scan the mri scan comes back and it says compression to the extent that we are genuinely thinking about do we need to refer this patient for surgery because otherwise i feel like the level of activity that they feel prepared to do if it is genuinely compressed when it's not that compressed is 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 problematic and therefore it's only when a when an mri scan comes back to me saying that there is a true s1 nerve compression of the thecal sac or whatever it says so that i can explain to patients so the scan has come back saying that there is a compression here and having spoken to the consultant, they wonder if one way in which we need to manage this, considering that physio hasn't been as effective, is to consider surgery to decompress it. And we can go from there. So instead, what do I say? Well, I, I use the word irritate a lot. I, I say a, a, a nerve has been irritated, which just feels like it's a bit irritated. But if we can get it to be a bit less irritable, we can hopefully get it better. And I think that hopefully that paints a picture to a patient that there's something going on that is reversible rather than it's trapped, it's locked in a vice, it's super compressed and they think, oh, well, how am I going to get myself out of this situation? So irritates a word. I And I, I, to be honest, I use irritate a lot with different conditions, whether it's osteoarthritis and the cartilage is a bit irritated. I talk about things being grumpy. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're all grumpy. But when it's we're grumpy. It's a transient thing. Yeah. When we're grumpy, there's something that can cheer us up. We can get out of it. So I, I really like that too. So I think we'll leave it there, Marie. Thank you so much for your help. And thank you so much for your advice on how we might be able to explain different things to our patients and doing it in a way that helps them. Thank you so much for joining me and see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Marie. And if there's other resources that would be great for me to point you guys towards, definitely look at some of the brilliant webinars that we've had with the phenomenal Ben Wybrow. He's a communication specialist physio and he's got a new course coming out with us soon, which is communication skills for belief and behavior change. Fantastic for physios. Thank you for listening. See you soon.